It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk and joining me uh, as we uh, dip in here. I think it's our first show, maybe in March. We've had a few weeks off, so uh, welcome back, everybody. And um, you know, in case this is the first time you happen to be tuning into the show, let me give you a little rundown on how it works. Um, uh, basically, I, I meet a lot of these cool people, and we created this show so we can have a conversation and talk about all the cool things around leadership and play engagement and culture, just sort of fun stuff that... Um, I think uh, all of us that have employees that are in leadership positions, HR positions, uh, enjoy doing. So this uh, hopefully will can give you something you can use, maybe learn a tip, uh, strategy, something you can use in, in your company right away. I've, I've been inspired by all of these leaders and been really fortunate enough to have so many great and, and really cool people on this show that it's even led me to try a book that we just released uh, here, The Power of Company Culture. It's uh, now a bestseller. Uh, you can find it on Amazon or uh, wherever you buy your books, um, but it's filled with all sorts of, of stories from the show uh, and from really smart people that uh, know how to manage their people. So uh, Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, and as I've mentioned, uh, we, we turn this into a podcast. It goes on iTunes. It goes on iHeartRadio. You can listen there. So you can join uh, the over 10,000 people a day that are downloading at least one podcast um, at various forms. So big thank you to everyone who's uh, – tuning into the show regularly. All right, before I get to my guests here, I want to remind you, you can be a part of the show as well. Submit your questions uh, on Twitter at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag, Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, is is diligently watching Twitter right now for any questions that may come in and live tweeting this as well. And we'll certainly get many questions that pop in and we'll work them into the show. Um, we also love your suggestions, guest suggestions, whatever you have. That's the best place to do it. So I have two great guests today for my show. My, my first guest will be Wanda uh, Cole Freeman, uh, the Vice President of Talent Acquisition at Dignity Health. And then Wanda will be followed by my second guest, Lori Williams, uh, who is the President and CEO of uh, Mansfield Area Chamber of Commerce. So uh, she'll come after my uh, first commercial break. But let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Wanda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, you know, what's important for us to know about you in the context of this conversation, and, of course, you know, what you're doing over there at Dignity Health. Well, um, I am fortunate to work for an amazing organization that uh, puts people at the center of everything we do. So Dignity Health is one of the nation's largest healthcare systems. Um, we're headquartered here in San Francisco and have operations all up and down California, Arizona, and Nevada. And um, I am the Vice President of Talent Acquisition. So my team is responsible for attracting and hiring 
uh, the 16 to 20,000 people we hire on average every year. Well, so as the vice president of uh, talent acquisition, you have to always kind of have your fingers, I guess, on the latest trends and recruiting and different things that are going on that really help you know your company kind of keep a pulse on what's going on and trying to find the right people at the right time. So what do you do to kind of personally stay on top of your game when it comes to all of that? Uh, you know, there's so much out there, there's so much content. What, 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 kind of how, how do you handle all that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's so much content coming to us all the time. I mean, you know, leaders of talent um, tend to be people who like to network and we like to engage. And so I've made it a priority to carve out time each week to um, meet with peers um, out in the industry, to attend webinars just so I can um, stay on top of things, um, go and talk to people about new technologies and new new ideas. I'm, I'm really um, all abuzz right now about AI. And, um, and then I also just try my best to stay in touch with candidates because I find that when I am listening to candidates and talking to candidates and hearing what their needs are, hearing where, you know, where, the, where their pain points are in the job market, because um, surprisingly we don't make it easy for people to find jobs, um, it seems, um, I really feel like I can uncover kind of where my team needs to go in terms of candidate experience and also, you know, trying to figure out how do we solve these critical shortages that we, we experience every day in our business. So um, just trying to carve out that time to make it happen, to, to talk to people, engage, listen, and then hopefully uh, iterate on uh, new ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, with everything that's going on out there, it sounds like you're taking steps to try to make sure you can be on top of that. Um, you know, I, I read a quote the other day that read, uh, you're not just recruiting employees, but you're sowing the seeds of your reputation. So do you feel that there's truth in that statement? And if there is, you know, maybe you could talk about what, you know, does that make it even more important to ensure you're kind of finding and bringing in the best talent available? Or do you have some different view on, on kind of how we're going to recruit people in the best ways? No, I think I, I think that makes sense. Um, I don't know if I think about it quite in that same term, but I think that makes sense. What resonates with me every day, and I've worked, started my career in investment banking and, you know, moved into um, high tech um, and accounting. So I've had diverse uh, experiences in healthcare. I jumped into the healthcare space about nine years ago, and I worked for a payer here in San Francisco before an insurance provider, and, and now I'm on the provider side. And I think having a different lens, where at the end of the day, you have a reminder that every hire decision that we make on my team, or we help our hiring leaders make every every day, can impact the health health outcome. Uh, one of our patients. And so when you think about things from that perspective, um, absolutely, I am focused on how do we create the best candidate experience, how do we figure out how to assess candidates, um, what's that right true fit for us here at Dignity, because most of our employees that we hire are patient-facing or, or clinical um, in clinical roles. And so they are often meeting our customers, which are our patients, at their most vulnerable time. And so it is absolutely critical for me to impress upon my team and for leaders to let's get it right the first time um, and to work really hard on attracting the highest caliber of talent so that we can have the right people helping to support and care for and nurture our patients. 
So you, know, you mentioned patients and, of course, healthcare uh, and being a big part of that. And we've had some um, really great uh, healthcare leaders on on the show before, and I've, I've asked a similar question uh, to them and, and got different answers. So kind of see where you land. But do, do you think that there are real specific challenges or specific things that you have to deal with in the realm of healthcare, um, especially in your recruiting uh, function, that maybe are just you know, very, very different, uh, radically different than other markets and verticals out there? Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's radically different. I think each industry faces their own challenges. You know, if you're in, you know, a heavily regulated industry like we, we happen to be um, as well, you know, there are challenges all, all over. I think what strikes me most about being in healthcare and um, thinking about the folks that we need to bring on um, is that, you know, obviously there are regs and there's all sorts of rules, but it's really making sure that we get that right fit from a culture perspective and also on the clinical competency perspective. And I think the biggest challenge that I face right now is that we have a shortage across multiple functions in healthcare. Um, obviously, nursing, I'm sure folks have talked about that, um, but clinical lab scientists and pharmacists and thinking about therapies. Healthcare is bridging into the digital space and becoming way more consumer and finding people who want to blend technology and, and healthcare together. And what does that look like? So attracting the right people who are willing to think outside the box and also have, in some cases, that clinical competency, I think that's the challenge that um, at least we feel here um, daily. And, and so Dignity Health is certainly a recognizable name for a lot of people. And I know even though you may have some of that going for you, at least being some, uh, a place that people have heard of uh, as they're coming to, to look for a job or are out there, maybe have come across a listing, where do you kind of see the importance between, you know, that partnership of brand management and marketing as it kind of ties into recruiting, uh, you know, when it comes back to really, you know, trying to make sure you're a preferred employer? Yeah, I think um, brand, reputation, being true to our mission and our values are so crucial. So, um, you know, there's that intersection of how do you uh, live out your mission and your values every day, and then how do you um, do good on that promise, not only to our patients, but also to our employees. And that starts with the hire, right? So for me, I try to stay really connected, um, and my team is amazingly connected with um, leaders in the industry, with our, with our, you know, our leaders, and we impress upon them. You know, we're out there talking about Hello, human kindness. Um, we're talking about, um, you know, taking care of patients. And we want, when we engage people, whether it's just from the interview process or they do a phone screen or they actually come in for an in-person interview, to feel that um, that extension of our mission with our brand promise of human kindness. And, and so I think it's really critical. And um, we work hard on it every day around building that, that brand and uh, employer um, value proposition for for any of our passive and uh, active candidates. So so far my questions have been a lot about um, what you're doing from an outward standpoint to, yep. to maybe to, to show people what you have and show who you are and uh, things like that. But then, you know, once you get those candidates that come in, then there's an amount of what you're doing internally to make sure that, the, that, they, that they align, right, that they are the right person. Because 
being a great brand means you get a lot of people come in knocking on the door. That doesn't always mean that all of them are the right people for you. Um, it just means that maybe you're going to get a few more knocks on the door than someone who's not doing the work, good work that you're doing. So are there things like assessment tools or evaluation tools or things that you're using right now that you can share with us to, to really look at your candidates? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that we are pretty we are evolving in um, the space around uh, pre-hire assessments. Um, when I joined about four years ago, we had a math assessment and a fit assessment, and we used you know some external vendors that helped us do that, largely for our nurses and some of our clinical staff. And um, what we found was that uh, while in some cases they're beneficial, it really it really takes the person, the, the, you know, the folks who are actually interviewing and engaging. And so we have not completely turned away from pre-hire assessments, actually, with our medical assistants and our customer service reps. Um, we do have um, a few assessments that we use in the pre-hire piece, but we couple that with behavioral-based interviewing. And we actually have doubled down on that over the last two years um, with additional training. We've developed specific competency-based questions that fit um, our functional different areas, and then we went a step further um, because, as I mentioned earlier, I really think assessments are one piece of the the decision um, mm -hmm. pool in the puzzle, and you really got to look people in the eye and get a sense of, you know, is their heart also in it when they're coming to work for Dignity Health? And so we actually partnered with um, our mission integration and our LNOD teams to develop questions, um, behavioral-based questions that get to human kindness, and we include those in our interview process daily, and we found a lot of success. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you're sort of beyond the assessments of who they are. You're also looking at specific attributes about their kindness, about their ability to, um, to really, I guess, function inside your organization in a way in which you're really expecting and to keep that reputation and that brand and everything else that we mentioned before going. Are, are there any other attributes that you're really specifically looking for uh, as you bring people on board? And, and, and maybe they're different, right, by job type. It might be a little, slightly different for mm -hmm. doctors, slightly different for an x-ray tech, some, you know, and, and right. so on and so forth. But uh, are, are there certain things as, to kind of expand on that? Yeah, um, great question. Um, clearly, there are um, job-specific competencies, as you mentioned, that based on your function we care about um, and, and our table stakes, right? So if you're a phlebotomist, you need to have certain skill sets to do that and training and sometimes certs and licenses. But I think at the heart of what Dignity is trying to do um, with our people strategy is really still stay anchored to our business and our core, and that always takes us back to our mission. So we're looking and, and interviewing um, for leadership competencies around our values, which are you know, dignity, collaboration, justice, stewardship, and excellence. And within those behavioral-based questions that I mentioned earlier, we have developed questions around that um, and, you know, that get to leadership, being able to work in ambiguity, um, moving, um, moving a thought um, from, you know, on paper to execution. Um, healthcare is changing so rapidly and, you know, and, and so much is still unknown and there's so many things that we are exploring every day that we need folks who can, can jump in, can explore, can evaluate, can analyze, and move forward. Um, course correct when you need to. And so those are some of those soft skills that, you know, you're not going to get from an assessment that you need to sit down and talk with people and walk them through their past experiences and hear 
really how they've approached those kinds of examples in their past um, and how they might deal with something that they've never had to deal with before. So we spend a lot of time with candidates um, in that space and getting comfortable there. Right, right. And that's, that's really important. And I imagine the the results are really uh, kind of can be seen. They're very important. They're a part of, of what you're building. But yet, when you're kind of talking through that, I thought, you know, how many companies would actually go through that much work, right, and go through that much kind of process to make sure that they're going to find those right people when you may have a position that needs to be filled yesterday, right? And there are people that not only can can the company at large not make money, but, you know, you guys have patients that maybe can't get the services they need if you don't get the, somebody in that position filled. And so... Um, how, how do you guys handle that pressure between having to get that right person in and still be able to fill that job and, and keep that, what we would call a machine or the, the process running, right? Yeah, no, it's um, some days and in some of those roles that I, I uh, hearkened to earlier that are critical, hard to fill, it can be a real push-pull, um, you know, at a department level, on the floor, in a hospital. Um, but I do think that at the end of the day, our leaders understand and, and value that sometimes it might make sense to add an extra shift to someone else um, to wait a little longer to get that right fit. Um, and, you know, I can't say 100% we always get it right, but I think having our process hardwired, um, having our recruitment team and our leaders ask themselves those hard questions and do some discernment sometimes around is this the right fit, is this the right thing to do, um, helps us get closer to uh, bringing on the right the right candidates. Right, right, and that and that's what ultimately that's the part you guys can control. You can't control who's coming in the door, uh, or what your customers or patients or however you want to you know phrase that are kind of need. But you can control the people that are there to to help them and and, and move forward. That's right. Um, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things from, uh, from marketing to recruiting to, uh, you know, assessments, and there's a lot of different pieces in there. But one of the things that we've started asking people this year, to, uh, as the answers have sort of been so unique and creative and different, is that is there a gadget or an app or something maybe new that you're using this year or recently that uh, is really cool that, you know, you might share with us? Yeah, I have two. They're not necessarily new to anyone, but they, they have helped to transform uh, the way I do live my life. One is TaskRabbit. I have that app on, like, my finger can't get to it fast enough. Um, you know, when you're traveling and you're busy and you've got, got two, you know, teenage kids, um, that, that app has been a lifesaver. And then Fitbit. And um, Fitbit actually has been awesome for my, me personally, but also for me and my team um, around employee engagement. And, you know, we work for a company that we want people to be healthy. And so part of what we do in addition to trying to make sure that, you know, folks who sit in the corporate office and recruit can stay connected to their mission is we, I spend a lot of time with my team focused on engagement. And one of the ways that we do that is we have various Fitbit challenges every weekend on the weekends. And not all the time does everyone do them and not everybody has a Fitbit. But the folks who are um, aligned with Fitbit, um, we, we give the Apple Watch folks a hard time um, when we do our, you know, work week hustle or our weekend warrior challenges and um, it's been a nice way to create that that camaraderie with our team and um, know when people are building towards a goal um, outside, you know a health goal outside of work and so um, it's been really helpful for me and, and my whole team actually yeah 
that's great. You can kind of put those two things together. And TaskRabbit's great, and there's lots of other, you know, cool apps out there that people are using uh, to manage your tasks and manage your things. I think it's nice yeah. to have. I, I use NotePlan. There's OmniFocus. There's all sorts yeah. of ones out there. But well, um, I just love the way TaskRabbit, along with all these other organizations, are true. You know, this gig economy really transforming the way people work and make money and spend their time and can juggle. So I'm happy right. to support them. And uh, the other question we love to ask our guests is, is there a book that you're reading right now? And can you tell us about it? Yes, I am. Um, well, first and foremost, I am a huge basketball fan, NBA primarily, and um, I'm a big Golden State Warriors fan. So right now I am reading Marcus Thompson's uh, Golden, which is um, all about Steph Curry and his unexpected rise to success as an NBA player. So. It's love, very cool. Love, and love. so, um, uh, you know, uh, we don't often get people mentioning um, anything to do with sports. On the, we occasionally get it. <laughs> oh, really? Then, well, I think it, sports are perfect for leadership. I do, I mean, too. But, you know, it, the, yeah. the difference, I think, there slightly is that uh, sometimes we get leaders in, or, in organizations that think the only kind of leadership skills or things that they know is how a coach coached them, right, when they were eight years old. Yeah. And which was do what I say because I said so. Or you're going to have to go run laps, um, and so often that's a good entry. I, I notice, but then you got to go deeper, right? I mean, at the mm-hmm. NBA level, that's not how it works. Maybe that's how it works in college or in high school, but <laughs> yeah, well, the NBA coach, level, right? Coach, it's a much more complex. I think similar, similar to business. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. And actually, in particular, I I have two coaches that I I admire a lot, and one is Popovich, who um, does uh, coaches the Spurs in San Antonio, and and Coach Kerr who recently came to the Warriors, um, and this is his first coaching gig. And I don't know if you, you saw or read, but um, a few weeks ago he felt that the team was kind of like in a funk, and he had them coach themselves at a game. And I'm going to flank on who they were playing against, and some folks thought it was uh, you know disrespectful to the other team. But actually the team played really well. They took turns during timeouts around what plays they were going to do and who was going to motivate the other one. And I thought it was fantastic. And I think there are a ton of things that we can learn from sports um, around how we engage with our team, how we motivate people, how we give them that, that sense of um, empowerment to um, get it done. And um, so, so I, I, I turn to sports often. Yeah. Well, um, it's, it's a fantastic example and a lesson and, you know, if you're afraid to, I think anyone out there who's afraid to try something, uh, I mean, usually if you just try anything, you'll notice a reaction, right? You'll get something out of it. You'll learn something, you get productivity out of it, you get excitement out of it. Just doing something out of the norm that, you know, we're not doing the, just coming in and it's robotically the same every day. So yeah, absolutely. even just on that level, it's great. And then, I mean, it sounds like what Kurt did was really helpful. So yeah, um, they, they, they won the game. And they well, they do it all the time, right? That. I mean, <laughs> well, no, they actually lost two games. They lost two games. They lost, right. but it's okay. It's okay. They're not. They're not in last place or anything. I mean, they're pretty no. good, but yeah, we're I not number one right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, how can people find out more uh, about opportunities or get a hold of you guys at Dignity Health? What's the best way for them to to explore your great company and possibly working for you? Yeah. Well. Um, Obviously, DignityHealthCareers.org uh, is our uh, career portal, and we um, love to engage with folks, whether they're interested in the role or not. We have talent communities um, based on function, ge- geography, leadership levels, so definitely um, 
take a look at us there, but we're also super active on social media, and you can engage with us all the time. We do virtual events, virtual career fairs, um, virtual just touch-ins with our, our recruiters and sourcing team members. So you can always find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Pinterest, uh, Glassdoor, and Twitter. Um, so that's another easy way to engage with us, but for sure, just uh, DignityHealthCareers.org. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's probably the tool I open up second after I open up Outlook. So um, right. if anyone needs to, would like to link in with me, please feel free to do so. Well, Wanda, thank you so much for being a part of the show today and giving us uh, such great information. Uh, hopefully you can uh, come back at some point and give us an update on how you're doing. That would be terrific. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Have a great All day. Right. You too. And I'm going to take a quick commercial break here, and we'll get it to my second guest, uh, Lori Williams. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. If you're just joining us, you missed a great interview with uh, Mon uh, Wanda Cole uh, Freeman, the Vice President of Talent Acquisition at Dignity Health. Uh, you can listen to her interview if you've missed it on iTunes or Heart Radio here in a couple weeks when we publish that podcast even on TalentTalkRadio.com. Uh, don't forget, you can also join the conversation and tweet us at, at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag, TalentTalk, and uh, we'll try to get your questions in. But now let's go ahead and bring in my next guest, uh, which will be uh, Lori Williams. She's the um, uh, president and CEO of Man uh, Mansfield Area Chamber of Commerce. So welcome, uh, Larry. Uh, Larry. <laughs> Let me back up. Lori, <laughs> welcome to the show. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Apparently, I'm going to change your name, but I usually get people's names wrong. But I usually mispronounce their name, their correct name, not their incorrect name. So, why don't you tell everyone? I'll I'll shut up now. Why don't you tell everyone about what you're doing over there, about your role, and and what's up with the uh, Mansfield Area uh, Chamber of Commerce? Um, well, I am the um, president, like you said, of the chamber here in Mansfield. We operate off of um, a mission of an acronym, ACE, which is we advocate, we connect, and educate. So that's kind of what our role is. Um, the role of a chamber has definitely um, evolved, I guess, probably 20 years ago, maybe even longer than that. Um, the role of a chamber was pretty much that of an uh, information center. So anytime you moved into a town or moved into a city, wanted to open a business, the chamber was the, uh, the first place that you contacted. Um, they had all the information, the stats, everything that you needed to get connected into that community. Um, with technology today, that kind of has evolved to where, you know, if you 
you've got access to Google, you've got access to all that information. So chambers are having to evolve and uh, reinvent who they are and what they do and how they serve their membership base. We're uh, 100% funded by our members. Um, a lot of chambers still are primarily funded by their city. Um, so they do a lot of coordinating events and stuff like that with their cities. We do not. So we're focused 100% on our membership base, and that's pretty much who we are. Well, that's great. And, uh, you know, for those that, that don't know, um, are, are you, you guys the Mansfield area that are in Texas? Is that correct? Yes. Uh-huh. That's correct. Good, good. Because I know there's more than one in the country, but uh, as far yeah. as the city name, <laughs> I wanted to make sure people knew which one we were talking to. I know you identify yourself as a self-proclaimed, you know, agent of change. So how would you put that into action and, and how do you bring that in, that kind of change into your current role in, in trying to help uh, the local community and the businesses and everything else that you're doing? Um, I've kind of always, my philosophy has been um, that of change. It's kind of been a reoccurring theme throughout my life. I was raised um, a military brat, so we moved around a lot. So change was something that was instilled in me at an early age, and it's just something that I kind of adopted and, and um, thrive on. Um, and then my previous career, I did uh, consulting and training. Um, I spent a little over 25 years in the staffing industry. And when I came out, um, I continued to work for another 11 years doing consulting and training in that industry. And everything seems to always revolve around the human nature resistance to change. And so when there are problems and things aren't working the way they should, it's usually because we're resisting that change and we want things to stay as they are. So I have a knack of being able to, to look at something and go, okay, here's the problem, here's what needs to change, and then creating a plan to, okay, let's, let's make it happen and how soon can we make it happen. That's the other thing. I think if it happens fast, um, it's less painful for people. And that's kind of, um, I carry that on in this role that I do now with small businesses, um, just helping them get through the, the process of, of starting up and going through the changes that they have to in order to continue growth. And the minute that you become um, complacent, happy, I like where I'm at, that's the time that you need to, to make changes. And if you don't make the changes, uh, someone else will, and that means it's out of your control. So in order to stay in control of what's going on, you've got to constantly look for what can I change, how can I improve, how can I get better. And, and so you, you mentioned uh, that concept and people uh, in general not wanting to change, right, that sort of being the human element that we're dealing with. Um, and, and in your role and, and your, your past role in staffing, do you think that's your kind of the number one standout for you as a leader um, in, is in dealing with that? Or are there other things of part your, your past experience that you kind of hang your hat on as, as, as identify you, you know, in your leadership style? Okay, I'm a little confused as to what you're asking. So yeah, I mean, uh, so what else about your leadership style? Is it is it your ability to, to handle and, and help people with getting through that change, right? Getting them to change, um, or are there other things that you think you're you know you bring to at the table as a leader? Um, I think definitely change, but I also think um, along with that, just the ability to move fast, um, to get things done, to to think through it quickly. Um, 
I mean, I think as far as um, in a leadership role, again, I, I think people have a hard time seeing the big picture. And so when you can realize and see what that big picture is uh, and not get focused in the weeds, so to speak, but keep focused on what the bigger goal is, um, I think that that's extremely important. Um, I think one of the things that um, for what we do here at the Chamber today in this role is getting people to realize as soon as you can remove yourself from the equation and um, I've got a slogan on the wall, it's not all about you, when, when you can take yourself out of it and start looking for what can I do for others and how can I help them and if I can make them su successful in what they do or how can I help them, that somehow in turn um, you'll reap the benefit of that. And, and that's really what the connecting piece is all about in our ACE is getting people to stop selling who you are and what you do but find out how you can make an impact and what your contribution is, then you'll, you'll, you'll benefit from that. And it will come back to you, and you'll be able to increase your business that way. But I think it's just kind of it's, it's the deeper thinking part of things and getting past some of the stuff that you get hung up on. People get hung up a lot on um, things that really don't matter in the scheme of things. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you know, focusing on the big picture, focusing on, you know, how we need to change and also focusing on, you know, what to do as, as we're different stages of growth, right, in our, in our businesses. I imagine in your work now that you have the opportunity to, to kind of see lots of different companies and businesses in different stages and different places in, in, in their evolution. And I wondered if you had some perspective or thoughts on, you know, what companies tend to do or what you think they should be doing if they hit a plateau. Uh, you know, it's a lot of businesses close in the first couple of years. If they make it out of that, they've got some good growth, some good good momentum, and then often they plateau. So what, what are you kind of seeing that businesses are doing to stay on top of things and, and to get through that and continue growing? I think from what I see, a lot of people, um, they look at something, especially uh, new entrepreneurs, they either have a passion for something or I want to be, I've always wanted to be this or always wanted to do that. And they don't realize sometimes um, what's really required to make something happen. And probably the biggest thing, and it's been consistent in, in when I was doing consulting and, and even here at the chamber, is that it's the marketing, the sales piece. Um, usually people say, well, I want to make these widgets because I love these widgets. And, I've always wanted to make widgets. Well, they don't realize you're going to have to sell those widgets. Um, and they get hung up where their focus is on one piece of the business. And it never you usually has anything to do with the sales piece of it. And so what kills them early on is the sales and the marketing piece. Or they didn't realize, oh, my gosh, well, how many of these hamburgers am I going to have to sell in order to pay the rent, to pay the staff, to pay the insurance, to pay – all of the expenses that I've got, and then they realize there's no way they're going to be able to sell that many hamburgers to afford where they're at. So it's one of those two things. And then those that make it and get above that five-year, seven-year mark, that plateau is usually when you, you hit that wall. And the reason why they hit the wall is because they got complacent, because 
this is what we've always done and it seems to work, and so we'll just continue to do it, not realizing that in order to get to the next level and the next level and the next level, you have to spur change of some sort. Um, you talk to any CPA and you can look on a, they'll show you graph of, of, a, of a company that grows it'll, and it'll grow and then it hits the plateau. It's usually about every five to ten years and then they plateau and it doesn't flatline as though you would want it to. It doesn't flatline. You have to go up or you'll go down. And so if you don't make the decision for change to go up, then it will start to go down and start to trend down. And usually people cling on to everything that they can, grasping, um, as, they, as they go down. Um, and it's usually because they, they're resistant to the change piece. That's why change is so critical. And to be open to it and be open to trying new things because that's what spurs growth. So it sounds like, you know, you're really an advocate for the companies need to have that change kind of built in and um, we might call that innovation. We, there's lots of different words for it, really to continue to be successful. Uh, do, where, where, does it, where does that line sit between change and being able to adapt and do all of that and still be true to yourself and true to your product? I mean, you know, here on the West Coast, we have In-N-Out that's famous around the world. They've done the same thing since they started, and they haven't changed it one bit, right? I mean, it's the same menu. It's the same outfits. It's the same color and everything. And yet that's successful, and yet I could probably give a thousand examples of where change is totally necessary for other companies. So, you know, where, where do you think that kind of line sits about being true to yourself and being very targeted and also having to ch- didn't change when times call for it? Well, I think you're talking about two separate things. And being true to yourself, if you know your why, you know, why is it that you're doing what you're doing? You know, Simon Sinek, the whole book and the concept on that. Sure. Um, that's that's staying true to who you are. And as long as you're doing that, um, that I don't think ever changes. And that that piece should stay the same. Um, but how you go about things and how you, um, you know, whether it's adapting new technologies or uh, upgrading um, staff skill or or breaking into new markets, or there's a variety of different things that create change, but it doesn't change the core of, of who you are and what your mission is and why you're doing what it is that you're doing. Um, that's if you know what it is. A lot of people, interestingly enough, don't understand what their why is. And a lot of people, interestingly enough, chase things that are not relevant and end up on all these wrong paths because, they don't know what their purpose is in life. And that, that to me, is probably the primary thing. Once you understand what your purpose is and, and what, you, what you have to offer, uh, what you're good at, what your natural talents are, um, it's very hard to be successful in anything that you do. Absolutely. And I think you're, you're helping really uh, solidify and, and anyone who's sort of maybe thinking about how they might um, – look at that uh, and how they might actually go after it um, and, and think about how do I know my purpose is, as you've explained, and, and then make other changes, other things that make you relevant or keep you 
Um, I'm pretty, you know, my example, I'm pretty sure In-N-Out started off as a cash business, and at some point they started accepting mm-hmm. credit cards, right? So that's a change that they brought in, and yet still were able to, to stay who they were uh, on, on an overall level. Uh, do you feel organizations, um, you, you know, as they're looking to make these changes, does some of that come from maybe the leadership at top? And do you have to maybe bring in executives and senior managers and people who can really help fit that role, right, of change and have change on the mind as, as opposed to status quo? Yeah, I mean, everything um... – you can, you can look at whoever is at the top of an organization, any organization, um, and look at who is in that company. That is a reflection of the person at the top. So, you know, that, that key person is critical. Um, and, and the funny thing is is that you can have that key person at the top want to change and, and you know, want all of these things to happen, but when you start working with them to try to say, okay, well, we're going to need to do this and we're going to need to adapt this or tweak that or whatever, then the resistance begins to come in because sometimes it's the um, the connections with people or just strange things that they're just not willing to give up, which which kind of hinders, you know, the overall success of, of, of what you're trying to do. But I think that um, definitely whoever is in that key role um, at the top has everything to do with the direction of that company and what they do. You know, um, Apple's a great example. You know, when Steve Jobs was alive and what he did, I mean, everything was so, they did everything to be so different, you know. That's the other thing is how do you compare with your competitors? What are you doing to stand apart? You know, they were very simplified in features where you look at some of the others and they were doing nothing but selling whistles and bells. You know, how are you going to differentiate um, and be different? And to me, a lot of that has is tied into to your why. You know, whatever it is that you're, whatever path you're on, whatever it is that you do, um, how do you make yourself different and stand out from the rest of them? Because um, there's not too much anymore. We're all pretty much on a, on an equal playing field as far as, um, technology and stuff like that. So, and there's so there's so much competition. It doesn't matter what field you're in. There's so many people that do what you do. So, what makes you different? And you need to know. You need to be able to have an answer for that. And then that kind of has to be infiltrated into whatever it is that you do. It it needs to be a part of woven into everything. So. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um... You've done an excellent job kind of driving home that point for us today and kind of giving us a good overview of some of the things we really should be thinking about as we our businesses change and our businesses reach different pivot points where we need to, to look at change and look at uh, how we're going to stay competitive. Um, you know, one of the things that we really have enjoyed asking our, uh, our guests here this year, um, is there an app or is there a gadget or is there something maybe new that you've added to your life to to maybe help you be better um, or, or to be more productive or something like that that maybe um, our listeners might enjoy hearing about? Probably not so much an app or a gadget. I mean, I love innovative stuff, and um, I mean, I, I use apps and, and all of that, and I'm all into it. Anything technology that is going to make something, I'm all about work smart, not hard. But probably the biggest thing that makes an impact for me is, um, I take 
an hour from 7 to 8 every morning. And that is my alone downtime that I kind of prepare myself for the day. Um, you can call it meditation. You can call it whatever you want. But it's just uh, just a time to kind of like mentally um, reorganize the files in your brain, so to speak. So kind of just like, you know, just sit there and let let that stuff kind of process and, you know, did I do this? Did I do that? And it, I think just taking an hour each morning to do that um, creates um, a huge impact for me. I know that when I've taken early mornings and done other things and missed that, um, I really, I really miss that time, and it does have an impact. I don't feel as prepared um, for the day, uh, and it does kind of help me tap into that subconscious mind. So I, I think that's really, really important for for everybody to be able to tap into your subconscious mind. That's where the real power is for change. Um, you know, we're all programmed in our conscious mind, and the majority of the population operates out of their conscious mind, and which is just autopilot. And you're never really thinking about anything. You're not doing anything any, any different. You're just doing what you've been programmed to do. And when you can pull yourself out of that and tap into the subconscious mind, that's when you have an opportunity to kind of rewrite some of those programs and, and make change in your own life uh, and, and what you do. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and if somebody can't do that, I guess there's our apps and things out there that will help them do that. But I think it's to your point, it's the the act of making sure you are doing it um, and taking that time to really help you process and uh, get your mind straight, get things together um, to really uh, to be better and to change and to do the things you need to do to be successful. Uh, you know, what about a book? Is there a book that you're reading now or maybe you suggest that people take a look at? Um, on a regular basis that, you know, uh, we should be thinking about? Um, one of the books that we use a lot around here, I, we've created Mastermind Groups, and Napoleon Hill, uh, it's an old book, um, mm -hmm. wrote um, The Laws of Success. And um, that's, probably, um, that's probably the best um, basic overall book to be able to read and apply to your business life and personal life. Um, there's nothing in there that is off-center, off I guess. Um, it's all basic common knowledge stuff, but it's stuff that if you don't take the time to think about, you never think about it, um, and it's a great book. Well, fantastic. Um, how can people uh, learn more uh, about your organization or about you? What's the best way for them to dig deeper and connect and, and do all those things? The uh, Chamber uh, website is uh, mansfieldchamber.org. And um, as far as me, um, I, I can be contacted through that. And then, of course, I'm on LinkedIn. I've got a LinkedIn profile um, just under my name, Lori Williams. Um, and then, of course, I've got all the other stuff, Facebook and all that other, but um, that's probably the best way. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show You're and welcome. giving us such uh, important uh, content today. And um, really hope we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on how you're doing. Okay, super. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining me today. Uh, hope you've learned something that you can use in your own career in a positive way. Next week, I will uh, have two great guests on the show again, uh, Sean Ebner, the president of People Ready, and uh, Josie 
uh, Bartris, the Vice President and Director of HR uh, Program Design and Management. Might be a new record for longest title ever, but that's pretty awesome, for East West Bank. Uh, and so they'll be joining me then. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.